in our experience, we've done it, I would say every which way. And more often than not, if we can get to the final destination without too many interruptions and stops, it's generally easier on the horses. Welcome to the Equine Body Talks podcast. We'll be diving into the equine industry from the lens of a body worker, talking to other equine professionals and discussing scenarios around soft tissue work for all equine athletes. I'm Kim Krebs, your host. I've been working for over two decades in this industry as a loper, barn manager, and body worker. With the many horses I've worked with in all of these capacities, it has driven me to want to continually find out the why and the hows of equine biomechanics, health, and performance. My mentor and one of our industry's leaders, Tina Watkins of In Hand Equine Therapy, will also be sharing hosting duties with me. Tina has been an equestrian her entire life and has dedicated the last 25 years to bringing bodywork forward as a professional career through her business, as well as education and teaching of future and current bodyworkers. This podcast is dedicated to opening the conversation around equine wellness, diving deeper into the whole body approach for equine performance horses. Whether you're taking your horse to the show in the next town or across the country, or even internationally, how to safely haul your horses is a topic people will have many opinions on. Do you feed while they're in the trailer? Do you stop every few hours to let them rest? Do you unload and walk them around before your destination? And on and on. There are so many factors to look at in terms of their comfort, logistics getting to the destination, types of trucks and trailers or shipping means to use, when to feed or not, what to carry on board in case of an emergency. Really, this could be discussed over multiple episodes to cover it in depth. During my days working in the cutting horse industry, we made multiple trips throughout Western Canada, over the Rocky Mountains, and many a long haul from Alberta to Texas and California. Hours and hours in the truck and trailer hauling a load of horses. At times, nerve-wracking with weather and road conditions, and most of all, exhausting, especially if we just finished a long show. But ensuring you have the horse's comfort in mind along the way was always paramount and will enable you to then get to your destination with horses that are as ready to compete as you are eager to get showing or ready to get home and relax. One particular trip we took was a tight turnaround between shows and we had to travel to California from Calgary and then show the young horses the first day at the show. Due to traffic delays, poor guidance on travel routes, and a huge temperature variance, the horses, and us, arrived exhausted. It factored into their ability to show, and after such a long trip, we were asking ourselves how worthwhile that had that all been. Luckily, we had time to recuperate the other horses before their classes, but it really reiterated to me how important the hauling factor is. So what are the factors we need to be aware of? As body workers, if we have horses we're working on who have just come off a trailer, what does that mean for our sessions? What is the value of doing a session on a horse if it's just heading into a long haul? Many studies have been done on how horses travel in trailers as well as the effects the movement has on their bodies, ways that they will compensate for that movement. 
As you'll hear in the interview we have today, we need to remember that these animals are loading into enclosed spaces for us, trusting we will get them there safely, all the while essentially being blind to what is happening in front of them, and then having to react to the sudden changes in direction, stops, and starts. It's abrupt movement they're having to navigate from minutes to hours, and it absolutely has a profound effect on both their physical and mental state. Today, we're going to delve into this topic with two individuals who have logged many miles around North America with horses and trailers in tow. We sat down with Alex and Holly Grayton from Grayton Farms while they were still in Florida after having spent the winter down there competing. Alex is a professional coach and trainer in the sport of show jumping with many accomplishments under his belt as well as having mentored under some of the industry's top trainers such as Kyle King, Ian Miller, and George Morris. His wife Holly competes at the FEI and Grand Prix levels as well in that sport. They have made countless miles across the continent as well as having imported horses from Europe so they have paid close attention to the details on ensuring the horses are prepared for travel, allowing them to come off the trailers fit and ready to show. When we sat down with Alex and Holly, they were getting ready to make the trek north again. Well, today we're on the podcast with Holly and Alex Grayton. We're really excited that they joined us, two very accomplished show jumper riders, and I think they're going to have lots of insights for us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Holly and Alex. Oh, we're happy to be here. Glad to be here. Today we're going to talk about hauling horses, and anybody that I know, Holly and Alex are absolute experts at this. They not only haul to local horse shows, but every year go all the way down to Florida to be able to compete. So lots of insights for us on hauling horses and not only hauling, you know, and just to be able to get there, but hauling to be able to get there in a safe, sound way. And ready to compete. Yeah, and ready to compete. So let's start just totally with the basics, guys. Can you guys tell us a little bit about even just your horse trailer and why you chose it? And maybe even if you had a dream horse trailer, why you would choose that one? Well, Alex is really the horse hauler. I normally just keep him awake and, and spell him off when he needs a little bit of sleep. Yeah, I would say... You know, we, we have two horse trailers. We just sold one of them, but we have two horse trailers. One is a six horse that we did a lot of work to sort of convert the inside of it to have sort of double stalls. Horses were all uh, head to toe, California box style, if that makes sense. So they're fully enclosed little boxes. They were free. Not know, tied up. Not tied up at all. They had water, they had hay on the floor. They were just small enough that they couldn't turn around, but wide enough that they didn't feel claustrophobic. And mm-hmm. so that's the trailer that we just sold. But primarily, that's the one we've done all of our long trips with. And, and honestly, the horses just come out of that trailer feeling amazing. And it's all the little things, all, all of the small pieces that we've done over the course of several years to try to, to retrofit it and make it useful. And it was all a lot of learning on the fly. Yeah, and when we bought that trailer, now you can buy them prefab with those California box stalls. But when we bought it, that wasn't common. So we, you know, it took a few different welders and a few different people with ideas. And now it seems like the whole world's caught up. You can buy them, Sundowner and Jamco, all these guys that the manufacturers, they definitely have packages now that, that come like this, which is great. We, we definitely went at it as a retrofitting kind of a, uh, an approach. 
And did you guys get into wanting to retrofit it because you found with previous trailers that you'd had and hauling horses that they were more fatigued if they were being hauled in a slant load or in just a straight, a regular straight haul fashion? Oh yeah, before we had that, that trailer, we had a four horse angle haul plus living quarters. And you can only really get living quarters in an angle haul. Um, and we definitely, we had one horse come off the trailer one time in Tennessee, starting to colic and, you know, thank, thank goodness it was all okay. And we had a vet there quickly and he seemed to recover very well. But I think we've attributed that a little bit to not being able to reach his head down to the ground in an angle haul. And that's quite a long ways, you know, our other trailer that we have is an angle haul that we use for short hauls they're a little bit easier to load by yourself if you don't have help. But it was it was because of that sort of small incident that we thought we need something better. And honestly, I think what we did that it served us the best was we, we asked a lot of people what they do, how they do it, what served them. Well, and I think that's what's so neat about you guys. I mean, you've been in the industry for years. You've done a lot of competing and hauling. And yet, I really appreciate you guys are always looking to see what could be better which I think is what makes not only an amazing horse owner, but also for you guys that are training, I think it's really important because that's what then allows you to not only, you know, get the horses there more safe, but I think it really allows you to understand what the horse is going through in the back of the trailer. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I thank you for the kind words. I think, you know, it's always a journey and, and we always, we are very ready to adapt and adjust and, and that's across the board with, you know, whatever it is, feeding program or shipping or training, all of the above. We, you know, we, we take the great ideas that we see and we, you know, make them possible in our program and shipping is certainly no, no exception to that. When we bought the trailer, as Holly was alluding to, it did not come the way that we ultimately made it. And we definitely, we hauled across the country. We hauled from Calgary to Ottawa with it set up completely differently. Very narrow stalls, tied up, all of this stuff sort of the, the classic way. And yeah, I mean, that was exhausting for the horses. So that, that was one of the incentives to move forward and make some adjustments. And, you know, I'm really glad that we, we did that. Obviously, the horses, since that adjustment have come off feeling amazing. But the other thing that I wanted to say was, we have a camera system in the trailer, which has been uh, certainly life-changing when you have one that is a little bit rambunctious or up to no good or gets bored, per se. It's really easy to keep a little bit of an eye on them and know if you're having a bad time or if, if it's just that one, I don't know, having his say about the world for the minute. And then you just keep driving. But that's another huge thing that we were, you know, we learned about along the way about what kind of camera system to get and and just to stay on that vein, is that like a real-time system that you can just watch all the time? Is that something that is giving feedback like regularly or you just check it on your phone every once and again? Oh yeah, no, the, the system we have has three or four cameras depending on the size of the trailer. And actually our smaller trailer, we had one too many cameras, so we put it on the back, so we have a backup camera. But it's real time, it's wired into the truck, there's a screen in the truck all the time. And so you can see at any given moment, anything that's happening. You can even have, there's a speaker on those cameras too, so you can have a little bit of volume if you wanted to, so you can hear what's happening in there. It's more annoying than you might think, so we, we often keep that down, but if you wanted to, you could listen in and hear what they're telling you. 
And unfortunately, it's only one way. Yeah. So you can't <laughs> tell them to pipe down. <laughs> I was just going to say you could yell into it. Stop that. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. You guys had mentioned something that I think is really important for us not to gloss over. You had said that this allows you to have hay on the floor. Tell us a little bit about feeding, what your opinions are on feeding during travel, and then why you had mentioned hay on the floor. Yeah, I think feeding during travel is, everybody does it differently. And I can say for us, as long as we have long hauled, we put them on the trailer with just hay, no grain in the morning. Often the night before, we'll give them quite a sloppy feed. You know, our horses don't get bran regularly, but they do get beet pulp. And so we'll just make sure that there's quite a bit of water in that. And then, yeah, they eat their hay off the floor. Even in the angle hall trailer we have now, we have it set up big enough that they can eat off the ground. There isn't mangers in front of them. It's really important that then their nasal system can drain when they put their head down. They still also get to eat in a very natural way so that their jaws work the way that they're supposed to the whole trip. And I think the other thing that we do if we overnight or, I mean, the haul to California is 30 hours. They don't, we don't feed grain to our horses until they've arrived and seen well. And I think there are a lot of people who do it differently. And I think if you were going to be feeding grain along the way, the water is a huge, huge important part of that, that nothing is sort of getting in there and then drying up. Yeah. Certainly, they have sort of free choice hay, more or less. I mean, we, we give, we throw a flake or two every time that we stop to fuel and we check in on them, which is great because that's obviously such an opportunity to actually see what they look like up close and not just on the camera. But we see also how much water they've been drinking. And if they're eating like crazy and haven't had a sip of water yet, you kind of, I don't know, make a note of that in your mind. We certainly have had horses over time that it takes a few stops for them to start to drink. And then next thing you know, they start to drink their water. Yeah, you, you get to know the horses a little bit, their own little corks and everything like that. But certainly if you went 30 hours and you knew that they weren't drinking and they'd eaten a lot, that would, the red flags would be all over the place. I know a lot of people that will pack their own water from home just because of wanting to ensure that it's the same flavor, the same taste that the horses are used to. Is that something you guys do? Or is that more in regards to just when you're stopping getting the water that's along the way? Do you include electrolytes, those sort of things? What is the way that you guys prefer to haul with in regards to the water situation? Uh, you know, we've been really lucky. Our horses have always been really happy to drink water from anywhere with the exception of one. And so we always have water on the trailer in jugs in case we get stopped, broken down, or if we got stopped in traffic and we knew that the horses would need water. Generally, those jugs we always refill uh, at the stops along the way. We always stop every tank of fuel. We don't have slip tanks, so it makes us stop every four hours. And Alex will tell you, I often have to use the bathroom at least that often. <laughs> so, but I think, you know, if you have slip tanks and you can go that much further, it's also that much more time when you aren't looking them in the eye. But so, like I say, with the water, we we generally haven't had an issue and the one that didn't like to drink water that wasn't from home really liked to drink water with apple juice in it. Mm -hmm. So when he, when he would get a little bit too long not drinking, he would have apple juice in his water and that seemed to cure that. We, we haven't, to touch on the electrolytes thing, we haven't normally included that in a pre or during the trip experience for them. Depending on where we're going, if we're going to a hot place or something like that, then electrolytes sort of become part of the program 
if it's really warm anyway once we get there. But yeah, those, those water jugs, we don't pack enough for the whole trek. I mean, if, if we go Calgary to Florida, there's just too much stopping involved. So we do start with our own water, but it doesn't take long before we're into whatever water there is. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you, you went through a really good kind of pre-protocol of what you guys do before you get on the trailer. One of the questions that we get asked a lot is about wrapping. Do you guys wrap all of your horse's legs for all trips? Or do you have any thoughts on why you would choose to wrap in your personal experience and why you wouldn't? Yeah, we actually don't bandage for the, for the trips unless there's something particularly happening if there's an injury or uh, something like that. But in general, we don't like to banish them to be on the trailer. I think the risk of it becoming undone or getting caught or just sort of causing a mess when you're on the road, that risk outweighs whatever we see as the benefit. If you're going to be hauling for 30 hours, you don't want the bandages on for that long anyway. That's, there's no uh, sort of, that's diminishing returns anyway. So we have just always seen it as, as not really worth the risks of bad things happening, as I say, unless there's an injury. Yeah, right. knock on wood, we actually haven't ever had one come off with a cut leg or anything like that either. No. And do you prefer, I know with the new style of trailer that you now have, and they have more ability to move around on their own in their, in their stalls, do you, or in the past when you just had the, the angle halls, were you of the mindset to unload during those four-hour stops and have them walk around to help with the circulation and or were you always wanting just to leave them on the trailer? I've heard both camps and both have validity so I'm just curious what your guys's experience with all of the hauling that you've done. Yeah I think and everyone does it a little bit different. In our experience we've done it I would say every which way and more often than not if we can get to the final destination without too many interruptions and stops it's generally easier on the horses getting off and on the trailer can be depending okay you'd need a safe place for sure to do that and then you know if one doesn't want to get back on or you don't have enough hands to help you it's you know or in our case when we're hauling six horses you just can't do the shuffle with two drivers safely and then as far as overnighting that's really dependent on the drive and how the humans are going to handle it in our trailer oftentimes you know we'll drive 12 or 15 hours and we'll need to stop to sleep and we'll sleep in the truck for three or so hours and the horses all stand very quiet they catch a little snooze as well and everyone seems happy to get another flake of hay and hit the road when we go to for example when we go to florida longer it, it, like it's basically our, our sort of personal rule that 30 hours is about as long as we like to go without them getting out of the truck and having a proper rest, meaning not just a couple hours, but more than 12. And so we have a stop that we do about halfway that they, they do come out and they roll and they sleep and they, they really just, we, we hand walk them a few times, all of that stuff, but they have a proper rest after about 30. But it's... I get the point of wanting to get them out and move them around and all of that stuff. But I mean, if you had a, a trailer full with six horses in it and not enough people, the second you open that door and take the first one out, yeah. it is a mess in that trailer. They are all so excited and they all think this is their final spot. And the reality is that it's, it's not a quiet or easy or calming experience for them if you do that. So it's better that if you're really going to take them out, they should stay for a while, not yeah. just to get right back in. 
Yeah, and I think that's a brilliant point to bring up, Alex, because I don't think a lot of people really understand the stress of changing an environment and getting out at a new place that the horse doesn't know. If he's in there with all his buddies and, you know, they can, like you say, have those kind of three hours to just recover a little bit. Lots of people, you know, listening might think to themselves, oh, well, I'd take my horse off. But but maybe just talk about the reason you guys have chose that, because I know I've heard you guys really uh, articulate, you know, about stress and about what impact it has on the horse. Definitely. And we kind of came by this plan, honestly enough, because we have tried to overnight places after a 10 or 12 hour day, just no matter where we're going to try to find a spot to, to unload them. But as you say, it's, it's all about sort of the big picture of the stressful experience. And so if you, this has happened to us before, but we found a night, what looked like a nice spot to unload the horses we had in our minds, this is where we're going to get a nice night's sleep and the horses will rest and everything. We get to the place, we unload the horses to find out that they're not all in a row. The, the way the layover stable was is that they were going to be a little bit split up. And it, the, we thought that the stabling wasn't necessarily as safe as we would feel comfortable with. So anyway, all of these factors combined made it sound like, well, this is for sure a way more stressful option than just letting them stand on the trailer for a few hours while we catch a, a quick nap and then off you go again. Because as far as they know, there's just no difference in their environment, as you say. They have hay, they have water, they have their friends. Nobody's panicking. They're not yelling all night for eight hours, wondering where their buddy is as they run around a round pen or whatever. And some horses can tolerate that or would be used to it. But in general, our, our, our sport horses are, they're not that easygoing. Hmm. Right. Yeah. In the times that we've overnighted and we ourselves go to a hotel, we really don't sleep that well either. No. You know, we're, we're in a new place. And I would say some of our best rest and recuperation is in those three hours in the back of the truck between dogs. And <laughs> all you had to do was just lay your head down. So... Yeah, yeah, that's that is true for us as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned going to the washroom that the horses would be in the trailer. What do you guys use for bedding maybe in the trailer? What's the situation on the floor of the trailer? Uh, we use shavings mostly just because that's what we use in our barn at home. So it's easy. We already have it. The horses are used to it. Definitely after a long haul, it there's a lot in there to clean out. But at this, and some horses are different. They move all their hay behind them and then they're angry because they can't eat it. And when you get to where you're going, there's just a whole lot of wasted hay. They kind of stand on all of it, for sure. If we do lay over somewhere at a halfway point or whatever, if the horses come out, we do strip the whole trailer and we either, we help brought bedding or we buy it from wherever we are. And uh, so we strip it out and replace it so that every time they do come out, we're going to put them back in to a clean spot. Yeah, it, it's definitely my my preference that when we get to our destination that then we wash the trailer out too. We strip it and then power wash it. No, yeah. Nothing good has been living in that for all that time. So we're right. better to get it all cleaned out. Yeah, that's, that's smart. A couple of my clients, and I know we've got a, a lot of Western people that listen to the podcast and it's a real rage in those riders right now. Have you guys heard of those cloud boots or those gel boots for trailering horses long distance? And if so, can you give us any opinions on those? We've heard of them for sure. We don't use them. And I would say that's probably just because we haven't had the experience of having one come off foot sore. Our 
bottom of our trailer has rubber mats and then shavings. So that's very similar to what they stand on at home anyways. And yeah, we just haven't had that experience. Maybe you would make a different argument if you had one that had very sensitive feet. But to be really fair, if it's got real sensitive feet, it probably wouldn't survive in our sport. In your sport. Yeah, yeah good point. Good point. You had mentioned at the beginning you had noticed in the angle hole trailer that the horses had come off in a fatigued way. What sort of things can you help people visualize if their horse is coming off the trailer, you know, the signs of fatigue that they should be looking for? That's a really good question. You know, I think when you picture a straight haul versus an angle haul and you start to think about where the weight is going to be bared when you hit the gas and when you hit the brake. So on an angle haul trailer, most of them haul facing forwards on the angle. So the right front, left hind, those bear the weight in your braking and your stopping. And of course that changes a little bit when you turn, that they would go all the way to the front or all the way to the back. But if you have one that those are their weak spots, then you're just adding to that strain versus in a straight haul. In theory, they all weight goes to two fronts and all weight goes to two backs. And we've definitely had different experiences with horses in the straight hall that like to go backwards or like to go forwards, face forwards or face backwards. But I would say we just pay really close attention when they come off the trailer, when we're using the curry comb on them the next day. You know, are they sore, more sensitive to that? How much are they laying down the first day that they are where you've gotten to? You know, we seem to know our horses sleep patterns pretty well. And then all of a sudden one down all day and you go, oh gosh, that must have been a hard ride for you and then think about where they were in the trailer and how you might put them in a different spot next time. Fatigue I think is part of, physical fatigue is going to be part of it no matter what. You know it's just going to be a different whole day for them than they're used to living and so even Tina told me one time you know think about your horse specifically and what he likes and doesn't like and I know for us we have one horse that I know doesn't like to be wedged in a small space but if he's got enough room the rest of it doesn't matter and so I guess if you, sometimes they come off fatigued mentally or sometimes they come off fatigued physically. If I just add, I think it's a hard question to answer because it's all the little horsemanship stuff, I think is really the, the true thing. You mm -hmm. know that they're going to be fatigued somewhat, but it's, you got to know your horse a little bit. You plan on them being fatigued a little bit, but you have to pay attention. And I think if you, you notice the small things, them sleeping a little bit, the eating differently, not drinking as much, the first hand walk you take them on, whether they're, you know, spry and ready to go get it, or if they're just sort of sauntering around, you know, you take notes of these sorts of things and you get to know it a little bit over time. But as a matter of sort of principle, if the longer the trip is, the more grace period we would allow them before we really were demanding of them. Yeah, right. And, and that, Alex, takes me right into my next question, which was recovery time. Even on little short trips for a lot of horses, they need some recovery time. So do you have some guidelines around how long you expect, you know, that a specific horse would need to recover from a trip? It's a good question. I hesitate to really say too much about like X number of hours means this. But as a general rule, I think when we ship our horses across the mountains, Calgary to Vancouver, it's a long day and it's a really tough one. We plan our trips so that the very next day we do mostly nothing with them. Nothing taxing for sure. They get a whole day of, we might ride them very lightly, but we're not jumping. We're not flatting hard. We're not doing anything stressful or taxing. It's all just to loosen up. 
And if we're going just sort of the QE2 in Edmonton or something like that, then this is normally a lot less strenuous for what it is that we might ask our horses to do, but we also don't ever ship up there and get off the truck and ride them. So it would be a next day thing. They would have the night to rest. And on a long trip to California or Florida or across Ontario or something like that, it's a number of days before we require them to do anything. Yeah, just to add on to that though, I think it's really important to emphasize that we get them moving. That's when we get them moving. So depending, as we get to know horses, we, you know, we've had not had them long, you kind of let them tell you how they feel coming off the truck. But general, as a general rule, I would say they go for a ham walk before they, before they go to bed, whenever they get where they're going. And then you can tell a little bit if they're short-stepped or wild or any of those things. And then you can make your plan for the next day. So if one was, came off the truck and looked like it just came, woke up from a nap, then it would probably get on a lunge line in the morning so we could evaluate its movement and make sure that nothing was too stiff or sore or that they hadn't been leaning one way too hard and therefore, you know, they're a little short-stepped on one leg. And if it still was looking pretty wild, then one of us would get on it and walk trot it that afternoon. Would sort of be a good general plan. And then, of course, every variant in between, depending on how what they tell you. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point. And I think if you guys could just speak on the hand walk, because sometimes, I, and I know I've worked for you guys for long enough, your hand walk is a real hand walk, like 15 to 30 minutes, where, you know, some people, you see them and they go for a hand walk and they're mostly, you know, visiting and maybe on their phone and tootling around. Tell us, you know, on that hand walk, I know that you guys aren't just walking tell us a little bit about a hand walk and and what you're looking for oh yeah i think i think more than anything it's important not to be on your phone most of the time when you're handling horses just because it's your opportunity to be interacting with them and seeing what they're feeling definitely we are not big we like to hand graze our horses but that's not the same as a hand walk and they should be marching along and getting their blood moving in the walk I think we would also do a few things like a turn on the forehand or a couple of circles, things like that to get their hind end engaged and stepping under and again, always be evaluating how they're moving and if that's normal. They would also definitely do a set of stretches, whatever their physiotherapist had recommended for them to do, but also just general carrot stretches, leg stretches, you know, all of those things to again be evaluating and get the blood moving. And if they're too wild to walk alone, take a friend, you know, take another human, take another human and horse so that, so they can get out really move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it can't be said too clearly. It's so important that they move around after being on the truck for 30 hours. And while it kind of makes sense in your mind to say, oh, we'll, we'll just let them sleep. They also need to move because they're, they're meant to do that. And so, yeah, a hand graze is no substitute for a hand walk. And that's sort of a big pet peeve of ours, I would say, is that those are nowhere near the same. Yeah, movement is the key to soundness. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And that takes me into my next point, which is, you know, people think that they're just standing there on the horse trailer. Like, oh, what's the big deal? They just stood there. I know that you guys are very aware of how much work is going on. And, you know, not from a body worker explanation, but 
Can you just tell the listeners maybe that aren't realizing that the horse is really working hard as the truck is going along? Can you give us just a little description of even maybe what you'd want to see in the camera when you glance back to know that they're not struggling and, and maybe how much they have to work when they're standing in the back of the trailer? Definitely. I think, I think it's very much like trying to stand on a balance board or staying upright on a surfboard or a skateboard or something like that for the entire time you're in there. Yes, their feet are all on the ground and they're not walking anywhere or whatever, but their whole body weight is shifting at every moment. And most importantly, it's at moments that they don't know they're coming. And so there's a lot of sort of surprise. And so the way that they react or are able to react and hold their balance is it's new. And hence the cause for stress is that they never really know where the movement's going to come from. And when our, on our cameras, for example, you can really see it when you're obviously stopping or starting, but also around every corner, you can see some horses tend to really lean on the walls more than others. And when you're going through the mountains, Calgary to Vancouver, for example, they really do use the walls quite a lot. At the deeper into the drive you get and those curves just keep coming, they start to lean on the walls and that's, that's them telling you that they are not able to sort of tolerate that or handle that within their bodies as much anymore. And so you, you would know that. From, from watching in the camera that, that that horse or those horses are getting taxed a little bit more than just your average trip. Yeah, those cameras really keep you an honest driver. You know, when you see, oh, I hit that curve a little too hard because the whole, everybody in the trailer went to one side, you know, that the cameras really help you be a better driver for that. Yeah, it would be almost a little intimidating, I've heard <laughs> from people, if you really understand how you're affecting them in the trailer that you really do become a better driver. You're much more cautious because they oh, are. Oh, you actually, it can make you feel a bit guilty, really. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you, it's, it's, again, a good reason to not be on your phone when you're driving and to be paying attention. And I would say that, you know, going over like train tracks or bumps like that seem to affect them a lot less than how hard you go around a turn. You right. know, really recognizing a curve coming up, slowing down. And it was told to me once too, if you can get them, if you can ease into your turn and get them already leaning on the wall before the peak of the turn, you're gonna be easier on them than if you hit that turn sharply is maybe not the exact right word, but that you kind of get them already in position. Yeah. That yeah. then they can lean on the wall through. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a really good point. You had mentioned earlier in regards to how you prepare them for especially the longer trips with their feed and wanting to ensure that they have a lot of moisture in their feed so that they they have the hydration what other things would you do in regards to prepping for especially the longer trips would you ensure that they have maybe a massage session do you use kt tape to try and help support and stabilize even if you're hauling like you guys obviously have and, and do from a cold climate to a hot climate and vice versa, what kind of what kind of blankets and whatnot that we would have on them? How do you best prepare them for a trip like that? Yeah, I think it starts a couple of days ahead where we'll put them on a gastro guard or sacrolophate or something for their stomachs. And they'll be on that from a few days before they travel, for sure through a few days after they travel, just you know to help keep all the acidity that might build up from stress. Uh, I try to do the same thing for my own self, you know, that you keep that down. Uh, I would say we always give our horses a light lunch the day before they drive instead of riding, again, to help prepare them 
for the fatigue that may come from the drive. And also it's simply easier because all our tax packed. <laughs> so they'll yeah. be, they'll, um, but like a walk trot lunge where they can be stretching, not necessarily working really hard. And then most of the time the horses get on the trailer in the blankets they were wearing in the barn. Our trailer, not every trailer is like this, but our trailer has insulated walls. The ceiling and the floor aren't insulated, but it does hold a lot of heat. So although it might be quite cold when we load them, it warms up very quickly. And that's definitely something to keep an eye on throughout the drive. You know, we often leave when it's still dark in the morning and the sun comes up quick. And so you might need to stop before your first tank of gas is out to open windows or change blankets. And we're a big proponent of having as many windows open as possible. Fresh air is really key. I'd rather have it open, fresh air, and cold with blankets on than try and keep them warm by keeping the windows closed. I think that's a super point, actually, that a yeah. lot of people miss. And in that same vein is, uh, you see a lot of times people that travel with doors down and horses' heads out, potentially. They don't necessarily even have the bars up or they have a system where there isn't a screen, a mesh screen in between the, the road and the horse's face. And so you hear of situations where maybe bugs even get into their eyes. So that's something else people really, the, the air is so important, but ensuring that it's safe and that they can not have those factors involved as well. I think you have to think worst case scenario, what kind of trouble could they get into? Yeah, and always. <laughs> so for instance, you know, in the back of our trailer, they have sort of like the half doors at the top. If a horse is in that back spot, those doors don't stay open. Just mm -hmm. if they were to be able to get loose and turn around, trouble. Also, for instance, if we have like one horse traveling in our angle hall, we have those things you're talking about with the fold down. Yeah. The yep. one that, all the ones that aren't in front of that horse will be down, but not that horse's. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Well, you guys really seem to have thought out your trailering protocols really thoroughly. And I think that's why we wanted you to speak on this because that's how you guys do your entire program is you really think about all the factors and then make decisions from there. When you were thinking about these fantastic protocols that you've made for your hauling, what were some of your top concerns? Or if you were to talk to someone maybe, or that's listening, that has really never hauled much, they've put their horse in the trailer once or twice, what are some of the, you know, just concerns that might be obvious to you, but, but it might be really beneficial for people to hear? That's a really good question. I would say, I would say, I think it would be important that these people would not be shy to ask other people's advice if they know somebody that knows their horse or can help them assess the risks or potential dangers or whatever about their upcoming trip. A lot of times when people are going to go on a route that they have not done before with a horse they don't know or they're going to take their horse alone in the trailer, these are all things that are, those keep me up a little bit at night when we do something like that. And so only from experience to know that this is something that we should be paying attention to. We should sort of flag the moment and pay attention to it and figure it out. So knowing, knowing your stops, knowing where you're going to pull over for fuel, knowing how your horse handles in the trailer, if you could, and if you don't, then use this as the, the time you're going to get to know it. Camera system would be amazing if it's possible or feasible. I think it, it's a huge peace of mind to be able to keep an active eye on what's actually happening. And I think don't underestimate the importance of water and their head down. I think that's 
that's sort of the best advice that I could say but i mean i alluded to it at the very beginning but it's it's all the small things about knowing what's happening in your horse because it, it's protocols are good but they're only as good as the people administering them so that's sort of the trick there i had one thought actually about when you were asking about the setup or the pre-trip stuff and you know holly mentioned that we lunge our horses the day before instead of riding and part of the reason that we do that is because you sort of treat the trip like it's going to be a big event and so it's almost in our interest to let them freshen up and be as ready to go as possible physically and mentally before they get on which is sort of the opposite from i don't know i i remember hearing about this years and years ago but people used to say i work them hard before they get on the truck so that they'll stand quietly i kind of i understand the mentality except for i don't think it works that way at all the horses are now just going to be tired and they're going to exert way more pressure on themselves than was necessary. So we just treat the trip like it's going to be a big piece of work. And so letting them be, be moving around and free and fresh is sort of our, our best way. Alex, I think that's a great thing to tell people because I think that often people are thinking about going to the show going to the thing they're headed to and they're really they're not considering that the actual travel is you know that much of an event for the horse so i think that's a brilliant thing to bring up i would add one more thing is that i think we've done mostly with our young horses but it's always good to do a dry run when you're not stressed for time it's not three o'clock in the morning make sure your horse is comfortable to get on the trailer make sure that they're comfortable in the trailer We've done it when we first got our six horse where I stood in the trailer and watched this before we had cameras and watched how they, how they stood and how they leaned against the walls and then rearranged who faced forward and who faced backwards, who was beside each other. So if you can do that at three o'clock in the morning, nobody's at their best. Yeah. Nobody's at their most patient. And so it's a really good time for everything to already have their ducks in a row. Yeah. And then the other thing I would add is go with your gut feeling. You know, if you have a bad feeling about something, take a second in and listen to that. Well, and that's so great that you say that, Holly, because I think all the stresses that go into it, if you've already practiced it once, if you already know how things are going, you start the day with the horses going in and going, okay, we got this, we've got it figured out, rather than everybody's in a tip right when you're pulling out, you know, and then you're, it's like Yosemite Sam going around the corner, you know, out the driveway. And so I think that's really important, the dry run idea. I think that's brilliant. The sooner they get to recognize it as a uh, all day buffet, the better. Right. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, we can't thank you enough, Holly and Alex. For your listeners that are really enjoying your information, how do people find you guys? Uh, we have a website, greatenfarms.ca, and we're on Instagram and Facebook with Great Farms as our handle. Wonderful. Great. Thanks very much, you guys. Thank you. Amazing insight on some simple things we can consider when hauling. One of the more intriguing tips I found through our conversation was the whole discussion around feeding and hydration. The techniques they employ to ensure the horses travel comfortably and as naturally as possible which allows for better nasal flow and movement of the jaw, for instance, as well as the prep they do prior to the travel with a very wet diet the night before or prior to getting onto the trailer to ensure they have that extra hydration. Diet on a trailer is also a key factor. While horses stand in a trailer, 
it causes some fractious movements as they constantly are stabilizing and the movement of the trailer will be causing the fluid in the stomach to move around. Understanding that a horse's stomach has the low pH in the lower portion of the stomach and a higher pH in the upper portion, if they have nothing there to help absorb that, the sloshing up of that acidic stomach fluid can be quite unpleasant, especially for those prone to ulcers. So having buffers such as the antacids and the hay available for them to munch on prior to loading and during is critical, no matter how long a trip you are taking. Also, using the soaked feed such as the beet pulp they like to do, or alfalfa pellets to not only get fiber into the stomach, but also hydration is a super trick. Hydration can't be stressed enough. Using apple juice, as Holly said, for a potentially picky horse and electrolytes will make a big difference in your horse's recovery and mitigate the chances of colic. Planning is so crucial. Knowing where you'll be resting, where you can fuel up, what the weather is going to be like along the way, the temperature that the trailer is going to feel like throughout, where you can get potable water at, what horses travel best next to one another, emergency numbers along the way, that you have proper equipment needed in case of a breakdown, etc. I've been in those situations with a trailer load of horses along the side of a highway after a tire has just blown out, and it is not fun for anyone. Being prepared for those events will get everyone back on the road safely and quickly. Stress is something each horse will deal with differently. The more we can mitigate it for them, the better they will arrive. As body workers, we understand that a stressed horse is a tense horse. No matter how the stress comes about, whether it be from pain in the stomach, worry about what's happening around them, or the constant stabilizing they are doing during hauling. It will be evident if you work on a horse within days or even weeks of coming off the trailer, especially if they haven't been able to fully recover before going into work. So it would be great if when arriving at their final destination, a horse was able to receive a bodywork session to help increase the circulation to those tired muscles. But be aware of regulations if you are at a show facility and for that sport specifically as some associations have strict guidelines on how soon prior to a show a horse can receive bodywork. Focus should not only be on the recovery of tissue after hauling, but also preparation prior to. As Holly and Alex mentioned, ensuring they don't get on the trailer tired from the previous day's workout would be a key element. I found helping support a horse with KT tape over the SI and around the fetlocks as well, has been a beneficial preventative measure. But ultimately, taking into consideration all of the factors we talked about today from prior to, during, and immediately after hauling your horses is going to determine how well they handled the trip. Hopefully, we can all start back to a full schedule of shows, clinics, and rodeos very soon. In the meantime, don't be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness and the team here to support them. Thank you for listening to this episode. We appreciate each rating and review you can give to help grow this podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook under Equine Body Talks or connect with us by email at equinebodytalks at gmail.com. 
To learn more about courses by In Hand Equine Therapy, please follow them on Instagram and Facebook as well and their online course platform at inhandequinetherapy.podia.com. Remember to always be an advocate for your horse and not be afraid to open the conversation around your horse's wellness team.